Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and for your graciousness and your mercy and your love and your kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I think in recent months we've seen uh, multiple uh, troubling trends in our society. We've seen, you know, we're involved with the gender debate. We have educational concerns, uh, political corruption, lawlessness, um, economic crisis that we're in, declining morals. It's getting depressing, isn't it? We see the uh, abortion controversy is ramping up. We see uh, rising global tensions, not to mention a broken immigration system. And that just, you can add some of your own uh, concerns as well. As believers, we must come to terms, not necessarily accept, but come to terms with the breaking away of Christian values in American culture. Therefore, we need to be cautious not to misplace trust in these troubling times. So this morning, I want to talk about three areas of, that we need to be cautious with, that we need to put all our trust in these areas in, in the, that, what we're facing today. And the first one is mistrusting people. And we're going to be looking at Lamentations chapter 4, which is still a carrier from last week and week before. We're talking about Jerusalem being totally destroyed, devastated, and Jeremiah is lamenting. And we have every right to lament today what's going on in our country and our world. We are in a hot mess. And I just, quite frankly... It is scary to me in the sense where I don't see us coming out of this. Now, I don't want to get into that end-time prophecy or whatever, but if anybody can tell me where they see light at the end of the tunnel, what's going on in Washington, D.C., please let us know. Please let us know. But God is in control of all of this, isn't he? Amen. God is in control. So... We lament, Jeremiah was lamenting big time over his beloved Jerusalem. Lamentations 4, verse 5, 8, and 9. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps. Verses 8 and 9. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled up on their bones. It has become as dry as a stick. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine, racked with hunger. They waste away for lack of food from the field. The devastation of Jerusalem was not only the result of military might, but also a great famine hit. And even the royal officials, the royal families, who once dined on the finest foods, were now roaming the streets, scavenging for food, dying of starvation.
I can think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow. I was never told about the sorrows. I thought I'd throw the Bee Gees in there just to kind of spice things up a little bit today. We're reminded not to put all our trust in people. No question, close friends are great to have around when we're going through pain and struggles. However, your special friend will not be able to help you overcome that dark, dark hole of pain in your heart. Only God can mend a broken heart, not the Bee Gees. They can't mend the broken heart. We have songs about how, how you can help my broken Yes, we can help each other, but only God at the end of the day can mend a broken heart. We need to hear that and understand that. And we far too often we put so much uh, maybe responsibility on people rather than looking to God at the end of the day to help us get through the things we need to get through. That was Jeremiah. His heart was broken, you know? And maybe perhaps initially he's thinking, you know, who can mend my broken heart? Who can do it? Who can take away my sorrow? But then he turned to his God. Always we come back to our Lord. So, how was that for an opener? Okay. Um, that leads us into my next thought, mistrusting culture. This destruction of Jerusalem led to their personal desperation, which created a panicked, everyone-for-themselves attitude. It was that selfish attitude. Now, we're going back to Lamentations verses 3 and 4. And chapter 4. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. It's interesting he used the word ostriches. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Jeremiah could not escape the dreadful sight of starving infants and children, mothers not nursing, even the jackals nurse their young. So Jeremiah compares mothers as ostriches to show indifference towards their young. During this period of complete devastation, morally, spiritually, socially, their cultural norms became non-existent. Everything was lost. Their compassion became non-existent. Their morals, again, became non-existent. Their faith became almost non-existent. Jeremiah reminds us just how low humanity can go. 
when given desperate circumstances. We need to be in touch with the cultural issues of our day. We do. But we tend to depend on our culture to bail us out. Um, when we were in Princeton, Illinois, we were in a church that was affluent. And our kids, basically, they had anything they wanted, by and large. Right, Jan? And nothing wrong with that. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But we took them on a mission trip. Every year we take them on a mission trip, always to places where they needed help. Like we did a lot of missions to smaller churches that needed renovations or whatever. We'd do whatever they wanted us to do. Or we'd do Bible studies, Sunday school, uh, whatever the case, whatever the needs were. Well, we went to Rockwood, Tennessee. And it's right in the Appalachians. And the mines had closed, and basically the people were out, were, out, were out of jobs. So we took two vans and took these kids that never saw poverty in their lives. We took them to Rockwood. And it was amazing, the response. As we drove to our, toward, we're almost close to our destination, we're driving by houses with no doors or windows. And in the van I was driving, some of the kids were just kind of like, they don't have any doors. They don't have any windows. So we arrived, and so our mission call was to uh, do a week, uh, probably like a vacation Bible school, you'd call it, and also to help uh, renovate their little church there. And it was interesting because during that whole week, our kids had to mingle with the Appalachian kids. And our kids, you could see, they're being so moved and so shocked by what they actually were seeing with their very own eyes. Now, I want you to picture this. At the end of the week, there was one boy that our kids gravitated to. His name was Daniel about 11, 12 years old, and he was just a great little kid, dirty, no shoes, whatever. And our kids just kind of started dialoguing with Daniel. When we left, we packed the vans, got the kids in, and there was Daniel there to, to uh, greet us and say goodbye. And as we drove away, this little guy was holding back his tears. And so were our kids in our vans. They were so touched by that experience and that little boy. It is so easy, my friends, to ignore the brokenness in our world. And sometimes we do that. We get in our little cocoons. And we, don't, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with the pain. We don't, want, we don't want to deal with the broken heart. We want to deal with all the bad stuff. We just want all the good stuff, all the good stuff. But guess what? The Bible is full of bad things that happen to good people. Look at Israel. My goodness, God corrected them. He poured judgment upon them. He scattered them, but he brought them back. 
The Bible is not just stories about the good old days and happy days. It's not. It's about life. It's about what happens in everyday culture around our world. As I speak, people are starving. As I speak, people are being abused. It is what it is what it is. And we live in this culture, and our kids do. I'm just saying that we need to be open and stay and, and, and stay in touch with these cultural issues of our day. Does that make any sense? And with, and with the understanding, with the understanding that culture cannot deliver us. Culture cannot deliver you. Far too many people, I'm afraid, want to live in their own little world where say, oh, you know, I don't want to deal with this stuff out there because it's painful, it's hurting. I want to be happy. Really? Then hide yourself in a closet and see how happy you're going to be there after a couple days. We can't avoid the stuff that's happening in our world. So what are we going to do about it? That's what God has called us to do. What are we going to do about that? Amen? Well, okay. That's kind of strong, wasn't it? Okay, where are we? Okay, mistrusting uh, spiritual leaders. This is an interesting one. Lamentations 4, 13 through 16. I'm going to be reading 13 first. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priest who shed with her the blood of the righteous. It's important to note that the spiritual leaders were among the top of the list responsible for the nation's sins. The priests were supposed to be moral and spiritual trendsetters. Verses 14 and 15. Now they grope through the streets as if they were blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Verse 15. Go away. You are unclean people. Cry to them anyway. Away, away. Don't touch us. When they flee and, wa- and wander about, people among the nations say, they can stay here no longer. Their sins were so repulsive that they were considered unclean as lepers. And back in the, day, the ancient days, lepers, if you were a leper, you were unclean. Great judgment was falling upon the spiritual leaders. God was mad. God was disgusted with them. You're supposed to be better than this. What are you doing? And that applies today. Every spiritual leader, you can be, if you're a Sunday school teacher or whatever, you are a spiritual leader. And pastors, you know, God is saying, oh boy, I tell you, I could probably go all day long on this one and probably be getting in trouble. But I've seen so much of pastors. None of us are perfect. I'm clearly not perfect. But golly, we have to be in Jesus in some way, shape, or form, don't we? That is so important. Jesus is losing his luster in so many areas of our society today. That really, really bothers me. That just bothers me. And when we as Christians, if we're going to sit around idly and say nothing and do nothing, 
then shame on us. One day, all of us, we're going to answer to God. And of course, we're, as, as Christians, we know that we're going to be on the good side of this. But God's going to judge our works. He's going to open up the books. He's going to judge our works. Not just mine. You tell him, Pastor. You tell him, no, no. Your works as well. We're all in this together. We are. We are. I would never, ever want the responsibility when somebody says, well, you know, you know, you do it all, Pastor, and churches out there really believe that's what the pastor's called to do. You do it all. Really? I wouldn't want that responsibility. I wouldn't. We're in this together. God has called us to be in partnership with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in a dark and cold and evil world that we live in today. Amen? Okay. I promise I won't yell at you. I don't mean to. I'm not yelling at you. Please understand that. Um, verse 16. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor. The elders, no favor. Here, great condemnation was thrust upon the spiritual leaders because they have lost their call. They have lost their way. I spent my last year in seminary in since I was... Can I say it? Presbyterian. That I was required to go to a Presbyterian seminary in downtown Chicago. Who's listening, Mike? I don't know. I got to watch what I don't want somebody to come to my house and shoot up my house. But I was never so shocked preparing for to be a pastor and to prepare proclaiming the gospel message at people that didn't have, some, many of them didn't have the slightest clue of the call. I'm, I'm being dead serious. Didn't have a clue of their call. Some of them would say, well, I got a degree in psychology and I didn't know what to do with that degree. So I talked to some of my friends. They said, well, you're good with people. So why don't you become a pastor? That's true. I'm not making this up. People, well, I'm good at people, so therefore I should be a pastor. Or I got to go to heart, I'm, I'm a good person, so I'll be a pastor. And then one of, my, one of my classmates was asked, he said, when, when people say, are you saved? His response is, on whose terms, yours or mine? What kind of answer is that? Or, boy, I'm really on a roll now. I'm the, you know, I might as well just, if I'm going to get shot at, I might as well just give it all, right? And, and it was interesting because then in some of our preaching classes, 
you know, the emphasis was, was on gestures. So you could always tell the seminary student when they preached because they'd put in their footnotes in the margins when to gesture. Ah, I need to make a point now. I'm going to make the point. I'm gonna, and it is amazing when especially I could see that in some of my colleagues. Oh, my goodness. Really, is this what it's all about? But anyway, um, I believe, this is just off the record, I believe that, that many of the church problems today are because of the pastors. Now I got the pastors mad. The pastors, because they're not preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about being the best pastor. I'm talking about getting into the word of God and preaching it. And preaching it. But it's one thing to preach it and another thing to live it. Amen? Amen. You know, I don't care if I'm where you are and I got a pastor that's stumbling on his tongue all the time. If that pastor is living for Jesus Christ, that means something. That means something. You know, I, I'm tired of flowery of sermons where it sounds really good, but they're not living it. We're seeing more and more pastors falling away from the church. It is absolutely, we talk about the fentanyl having an, an epidemic. We're having that in pastors. More are falling away for moral and other reasons. And I don't mean to say I'm trying to criticize them because I'm a pastor. I know what I know what I know. And I know just how much I need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so I don't fall. I don't fall. You know what I'm saying? Well, all right. I kind of beaten that one into the ground a little bit, haven't I? But anyway, they lost their call because they didn't model the faith or moral purity. That's a big one for me because more and more pastors are falling because of immoral things that they're doing and taking advantage of people in their congregations. Good thing I'm not God, Maria, because I'd line up and go and shoot them. There, that, to me, that is, that is not unacceptable. We cannot allow those things to happen, yet they are. And I say that in all humility because, because we're all vulnerable. So that means we need, to be up on our, we need to be on our toes. And this should be a clear warning to pastors and spiritual leaders today. A pastor's responsibility is heavy. Why is it heavy? For a lot of reasons. Because their words and, and actions affect people's spiritual lives. No matter who's up here with any church, that pastor has a responsibility to the people, morally and spiritually. I can't be, you don't know me when I'm at home. You don't know the real me. You see me just maybe once a Sunday, maybe a meeting, whatever, but to know, what is Pastor Denny really like? Hmm. Nicole says, yeah, I wonder, what is he really like? Thinking about that. My wife can answer that question. And she knows how much I love my Lord. 
And she knows that I'm not perfect, that I make mistakes. But she also knows that her husband can depend on her Jesus to forgive him and help him be a better person. That's all of us, isn't it? That's all of us. My first church, Piper City. Oh, man. Oh, well, the good old days of Piper City. I remember going to that church, and I was uh, first week there. You know, I was free. I was free from the, all, the, all the other stuff, from seminaries and, and, and all that hard things we're going through as a family, getting me through school and all. I had my first church. It was really cool. You know, go, go home for lunch. The house was only, what, maybe a mile away. Oh, four blocks? Okay. Well, long blocks. And I remember hopping into my car at lunchtime, starting it up, driving down those brick roads in Piper City, thinking, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. I'm doing, I'm doing God's work. I'm getting paid for it. Not a lot, but I'm getting paid for it and having a great time doing it. And so what do you do in a town of 900? Not a whole lot. Now, we had a church that was thriving, really, back in those days. And so, so we had, in the little town, but a very lively church. And so what I used to do on Tuesdays, I hate to say this, but I have to be honest. Confessions of a pastor. Sometimes I've run out of things to do. So I'd go to the nursing home and visit my older brothers and sisters. Come think, that's refreshing. I was going to visit my older brother and sisters. I wasn't the oldest one. I just wanted to throw that out. But anyway, I'd visit uh, the local nursing home, and I really, I love the people. I love that, that, that ministry. And every, every, I think it was every Tuesday, I'd go over to the nursing home, and I'd visit who I called her the queen. The queen was always dressed up. I mean, she was dressed up like she's going to a dance, you know, or going to a big uh, formal or whatever. And she's in her 90s, I'd say 94 years old or whatever it was. And her name was Marie, and she was sharp as a tack. And so one of my first visits, I said, Marie, identify myself. And and, uh, she said, well, what should I call you? I says, well, I threw out the options. I said, you can call me Denny. You can call me Pastor. And you can call me. And when I said Pastor, yeah, when I said Pastor, she interrupted me. She said, oh, no, 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 no. I can't call you Pastor. I have to call you Reverend. Reverend. Now, reverend, for some of you, reverend is very big in the Presbyterian circles, okay? When you're ordained, you're not, you are reverend. Reverend Carr, reverend, you know, Hanlon, reverend Han. That's, and I said, Maria, well, I said, if you, if that makes you comfortable, that's fine with me. But I had a strong dislike. I, I really disliked that term, being called reverend. People call me Reverend Carr. Really? It sounds so like you're up here. I'm not up there. I'm here with you. 
You see? But and at the same time, it is so, I think in these small churches, they tend to put pastors on a pedestal. They really do. And it's hard to change that. You really can't change that because that's in their mindset. That's who they are. And they watch your family. Everything your family does, they watch. My kids found that out. My point is this. Pastors, yes, they should be respected. Yes, they are the shepherd, that church. Yes, that's all good, but they should not be put on a pedestal. I don't want to be up there. I don't want it. Because I know that's not where I'm supposed to be. At the same time, we need to have high expectations, and you should for any pastor. But keep the expectations realistic. Amen? amen and amen. All right. Number four. Yay. Okay. The promise keeper. Lamentations 4, 22. Your punishment will end. Did you hear that? Your t- punishment will end, daughter Zion. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your sin. Daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. Edom was specifically mentioned here because they were Israel's arch enemy forever. They were Israel's arch enemy. They rejoiced and profited from Jerusalem's destruction here. But here it comes. Like Jerusalem, we can be confident no matter what because God will always keep his promises. Throughout Israel's history, when they turned against God, there was always a righteous remnant. There was always uh, a third. A third that were trusting in God. That's what he did when they exiled and came back. The remnant was coming back. That's God's theme for Israel throughout their history is you had leaders that were falling away, that were corrupt, and God would punish, would judge, but he would always say, I'm gonna, there's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be someone there. God will always restore Jerusalem. God will always restore Israel even when they go through their hard times. What's going to happen in the end? New heaven, new earth, where's it going to be? Jerusalem. Is God going to be in the temple? Yes. Is river going to flow from that temple? The river of forgiveness, the river of life. So you have punishment, you have blessings. The remnant will always be there. And God will bless, always bless the remnant. And we find them through the difficult circumstances. Whatever you're going through, maybe God is refining you. God does his greatest work, I think, when we're going through our issues. I really believe that. I can only say that in my own life. That when I'm going through some hard time, I say, okay, God, you're refining me. What's going on? What do I need to learn? What's happening? 
Can we praise God when we go through the struggles? I think we should. The same applies today. Don't put all your trust in people. Trust them. I'm not saying don't. But don't put all your trust in people. Don't put all your trust in culture. Don't put all your, your trust in spiritual leaders. If we trust and stay connected to God in all of our troubles, guess what? We become more like who? Jesus. We become more like Christ when we put our trust in him. Don't try to be perfect because you'll never make it. There's, there, there's not a perfect Christian walking on this planet. Amen? But the more we turn and trust in God and stay connected to him in our struggles, then we become more like Christ. We become more like him. What do you want? If I had to ask you, what do you want out of life? How would you respond to that? There probably would be some very good answers. Well, I want to be good. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good mother. I want to be a good friend. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to um, be a witness for Christ. All wonderful things. But what is it most, that, thir- that, that thirst you have in your heart? What is your thirst? Who is your thirst for? I'm just saying, it's got to be Jesus. To thirst for Christ. That's what we're all about here. If we are not thirsting for Jesus, we don't put him first. Why are we here? Why? I want to become more like like Christ, though I'll never, ever, ever, ever achieve that. But I say, using a Presbyterian term, I'm being sanctified. I'm moving in that journey to try to be a better person than I was last week or whatever. You think I'm done? No. Um, I used to... I used to feel guilty as a pastor if I made a mistake or if I'm in a meeting and I got a little edgy because I thought the people were moving a little bit too slow or whatever the case might be. Yeah, you have to have a balance there. But I used to feel guilty because Satan would use that to say, see, you're not, you're not kind. See, you're not this, you're not that. My friends to you today, God loves you so much. If you blow it, then praise him for that because he's going to make you stronger for it. And don't, don't let Satan get in there knocking on your door and and reminding you how bad you are. Be in Jesus. Walk with him every day. And he'll bless you. He'll bless you abundantly. He will do that for you and for me. Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that for every person here today, that you just speak to their heart, Lord. 
that you'll minister to them. That if they're feeling guilty or if they're struggling, if they're in pain, whatever the case might be, Lord, I pray that you will heal their broken heart. I pray, Jesus, that you will just come through for them. I pray, Lord, that they might feel you in a, in a deeper way, feel your presence. And Lord, help them not to be so hard on themselves that they forget your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.